Thank you again for listening to the Business of Fun podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the worldwide leader in refund protection. If you offer your guest tickets to live events, find out how you can offer your customers peace of mind, an improved buying experience, and create a new stream of revenue for your organization. Find out more by visiting www.bookingprotect.com. Now, today's guest is a fun one. It's Chris Grasse, who is at the Georgetown University here in D.C. Uh, Chris and I had a, a great opportunity to connect over Twitter over the last few weeks because I was asking people, um, who should I talk to? And I'm not sure if everybody who is listening to this podcast is going to know Chris's work, but if you don't, you should, because Chris is probably one of the most innovative marketers in college sports. Um, he, we, in this episode, we get into how he has had the ability to be so creative and kind of, I hesitate to say out there, but kind of out there at a blue blood college, which is funny because before Georgetown, he worked at Navy and he was still able to be super creative. And so we talk a lot about being creative in the context of a landmark brand. It's, and it's really, really interesting because within the context of the brand, Georgetown Navy before this and now Georgetown has created some great things. So Chris talks about uh, laundry day and millennial night and the bobbleheads and how to use Patrick Ewing and all these really and standing out in the DC market, which uh, marketing and selling is not necessarily always the most prized thing in the DC market uh, because of the influence of the federal government. We get into this, we get into a lot of stuff. It's a lot of fun. And, I think Chris is really one of those marketers that everybody should be paying a lot more attention to. So here's my conversation with Chris. I'd like to welcome Chris Grossi to the Business of Fun. How's it going, Chris? It is. Uh, it's going great. Thanks for having me. No, this is awesome. I have, uh, as I've done the podcast, I've started to ask people uh, for interesting people that they would like to hear from, and your name has come up consistently. So I'm really grateful that you 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 have the time to come on. And like I, we said before, we got on the podcast. It's just amazing that we've never met in person since we are like really like right down the street from each other. So this is like a, this will be like a getting to know you call. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So. I think probably a lot of people who follow, uh, follow sports marketing and college sports marketing are going to be familiar with your work because you are the man behind so many of the great uh, marketing and promotions at Georgetown, right? Um, you know, you've done, right, the last thing I think I saw was the bobblehead. You've been, like, mm-hmm. tweaking your bobblehead. Um, yeah. If what you do is unique to college, at least from my perspective. You know, so can you kind of give everybody a little bit of a background about, like, how you're able to um, be so creative in the college space and kind of a little bit of what you're up to at Georgetown. Sure. So, you know, I've been here for, this will be the start of my, my fifth season. So, um, you know, when I came in, our athletic program, you know, based on our, our basketball program was at a little bit of a, a renaissance time. And, um, you know, we had just the, the big East, uh, the old big East had changed and, um, there was, uh, a, a lot of, a lot of kind of things that, that we did here that needed to be adjusted a little bit. And, and we weren't in a position where we could just release our basketball schedule and, um, and, and sell, you know, 13, 14,000 tickets to game. So we had to be, become a little bit more creative just, just because of the environment. And, um, 
you know, I, I think I kind of, uh, when I started here in 2014, I, I kind of took a, a slow approach in, in, in starting some of those changes and, and adjusting um, different things to the game day experience and um, and, and our promotional offerings and, and the things that we did to you know, attract students to come out to games. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of grown from there. And, and we've been really lucky throughout the four years to have some promotions that have really, really hit well with our fan base and with, with the media and, and uh, you know, gained some national attention for uh, some of our uh, initiatives that we've done to, to kind of push the, the experience out to our, our fan base. Yeah, and you bring up an interesting uh, concept here because you, you and I didn't. It wasn't like really on my initial list of things I wanted to talk about here, but it, it's it, good. It's the attracting students to get them to come to the game because I know across college mm-hmm. sports that has been a, become an issue, and you are in a unique uh, position that people might not know right off the top of their head, which is that Georgetown is on the other side of town from the Capital One Arena where your basketball, your home games are played. So you know, you know how mm-hmm. do you encourage? fans to come out to the game how do you make sure that they come because you know i went to alabama and you could just walk to the Coleman yeah. coliseum right um yeah so how do you overcome both the barrier of getting people to come to the kids to come to the game and then also getting them across town because dc traffic yeah. is awful <laughs> yeah yeah so i, I and, and i think i think the student problem is is an issue at all schools and i think all schools deal with with difficulties in, in getting their students to come out to, to whatever sporting event it may be. Um, you know, I, we've, we've, um, you know, we play about three miles off of campus, but on any given day at any given time, it could take people 30 to 45 minutes to get there. Um, there's uh, n- no Metro uh, subway station here in Georgetown. So to get to the subway um, to get over to Capital One arena, students have to take a cab or a bus over to the Metro and then Metro over um, we found a lot of our students have just been, you know, doing ride shares and going over to the games. But um, we, we've we've started it out by just kind of looking at at the whole time commitment that the experience is is taking up. And and as we, um, you know, go through the season, we realize that students want to come and support the team. They just don't want to spend four hours doing it. So so what we've done is we've created a busing system where we we order buses to to ship students directly to our games, but they don't leave until 45 minutes, 30 minutes before the game starts. So um, we've had that option for them to, to, to make their time footprint as, as small as possible with still supporting the team. So we try to do stuff with students, our students in game, not before games or after games, just due to that, that the time commitment that it might take if we try to do a pregame event or a postgame something on the court with them a lot of times that doesn't work out um so we've we've really just tried to um, mold our game experience to be as as fun as possible involving the students as much as possible and getting them there and then getting them home quickly so they can go about uh kind of the rest of their day but um we've been we've been um lucky to have a really good student fan club here that that we work with um weekly and, and daily sometimes and and, and they're helping us identify different initiatives that, that students will find interesting, that students will want to take part in. So we've uh, we've done some really fun kind of student session themes to create a little bit of buzz about games that might not be, um, you know, buzzworthy, if not for, um, you know, the fun stuff that we were doing. And so we've, we've had some good success in kind of maintaining our student section, you know, while the team is kind of in a rebuilding mode. Yeah, and... 
I'm going to make an assumption here as well because uh-huh. uh, about the fan experience and being able to carry your fan base through uh-huh. rebuild is in the fact that um, I just started following him the other day because I didn't even recognize realize that he did, did he was on Twitter so actively. But having Patrick Ewing being the coach and his you yeah. know, history with the program, I mean that has to help uh-huh. a little bit, right? Yeah, Patrick is is awesome, and and he's um, you know having him here has really rejuvenated the campus and the fan base. Um, you know, he's he's I, I can't talk too much about recruiting, but he's he's done some great things with recruiting. Um, people were really happy with the way the team has been playing. Um, you know, in his first year last year, and people are really excited about this season. But he's just such a um, such a great personality to have on campus and anywhere he goes he draws a crowd and he's um you know very um you know friendly with folks and engaging with folks and so you know having him here and also just just working to spread the word in the community about him being here you know we we have these um these big ads on the side of buses that um that we we buy each year for advertising and last year's bus ad just said patrick ewing is back across the top of it and and you know had a picture of him and um some ticket information below it but you know we're really trying to um push out to the the area here that that he's here and and he's you know you know running the program and 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 things are are looking very positively yeah i mean it seems very cool what he's doing, and it seems that he has been able to bring back a certain amount of sort of the cachet and sort of the mystique of the Georgetown basketball brand because, I mean, you know, again, I fo- started following him recently, and I see uh, John Thompson has been, you know, been around more. Uh, I saw Jeff Green was around Alonzo Mornings, and, you know, and that has to help because um, I know that one of the challenges you guys deal with is that the D.C. market as far as sports – college sports, minor league sports, uh, entertainment is fairly saturated. And yet you do a, um, I would say a very good to great job. Uh, and probably if I'm I'm just being modest for your sake, um, on (laughs) on making sure that you differentiate yourself from a lot of the other things going on. So, you you know, how do, how does that work? Because I, I know before we got on the podcast, we talked about too, that a lot of times in the DC market, in the DC area, the taste and room for creativity and advertising and marketing is sometimes a little bit, uh, isn't it there as much because of the influence of the federal government? So how do you get away with so much? I guess it's the question. Yeah. So we've, um, we've kind of taken it as, uh, back in the day, Georgetown used to dominate the headlines here when, when, you know, we were winning national championships and, um, and, uh, we were making final fours and, uh, you know, the, the media coverage of this town has changed dramatically, especially for um, a sport that plays, um, you know, frankly, when, when the Redskins here are playing. And so, uh, as you know, as someone in that, that lives in this town and, and sees it, you know, once the Redskins start up, uh, a lot of the, the coverage from the media focuses on them. And so it, it's tough to break into um to break into the media cycle and, and to get that kind of, um, you know, that added bonus of, of some coverage that, that we might not um, be getting. So we've, um, you know, we've been lucky to, to do some of these kind of really creative, fun, out-of-the-box ideas that, that, that not only kind of excite and engage our fan base, but also, uh, you know, we've been able to, to, to gather some, um, some big headlines for it, and that's locally and nationally. So, um, you know, I, I, I try to 
toe the line a little bit with, with what is, uh, you know, I, I think I toe the line with what, what we can get away with. Um, you know, I, I don't do things that are overly controversial, but I like to, uh, you know, take advantage of current trends and, 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 you know, pop culture discussions, um, and, and have fun with it. So, uh, last year we did a, um, a millennial day at our soccer, uh, men's soccer match. And, and this was a match that most likely would not have received any, uh, headlines in DC, even though we were playing a top 10 team in UCLA, um, you know, the, the, the news stations just don't cover this stuff unless there's a story there. So we did a millennial day and, and, and we kind of poked fun at all these millennial stereotypes that I noticed kept popping up. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we gave away participation trophies. We had a safe space for dabbing. Um, we had a cable cord cutting station. We had a nap at halftime. So we were kind of taking advantage of all of the, you know, fun millennial stereotypes to kind of come up with a fun, um, you know, a, a fun experience for our fans and, and a way, you know, to tell a little bit of a story, um, you know, on, on local and national news about what we were you know, trying to accomplish here. So, uh, and, and, and we've had that success in, in a lot of different sports. We've had promotions for lacrosse, men's and women's lacrosse that have, have gone viral for women's basketball, um, you know, for football and, and for men's basketball. So we've been, I keep saying lucky, but, you know, because I think there is a little bit of luck to it. But um, we've been fortunate where we're able to kind of crack into the news cycle and, and, and get a little extra exposure for our, our awesome student athletes that we have here at Georgetown. Yeah, I would I would say two things about this. Number one is like with the Millennial Day, I definitely remember that, and I remember that also what helped was that like some of these people they they took it exactly the way that you would imagine that the stereotype yeah. would befit, which only helped reinforce yeah. the value of the yeah. promotion, which was awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. if you can't poke fun at yourself, then you like then there's like obviously something really wrong. <laughs> At least exactly. to me. And, and I, and I, yeah. And, and I'm a millennial and I'm the one that kind of came up with this. So like when you know, pe- people do take it um, literally a lot of times and, you know, there was, I would say about 25% negative feedback. But I think when you have something that, that causes a, uh, a reaction that you're passionate about, I think that helps, you know, spread the word. Uh, two years ago at lacrosse, we had a retirement party for cargo shorts, you know, and this just came from, um, uh, you know, me seeing my dad walk around with car- wearing cargo shorts, and I was like, "We got to get rid of these things." I mean, they're out. So that 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 morphed into a retirement party for cargo shorts. Well, there are some people that are very passionate about their cargo shorts, and and even um, the, the promotion got talked on the Today Show because Al Roker and Carson Daly did not want to give up their cargo shorts. Um, Put me in that Al category. Roker, Put me in that. Category. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so <laughs> Al Roker t- called them the SUV of, of pants. And so, like, they're talking about our promotion and our lacrosse team on the Today Show because we kind of came up with a promotion that um, caused a little bit of a reaction and, and, and opinions to be shared. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's what we're trying to do, uh, you know, whether it be, like I said, cargo shorts or poking fun of millennials or when we took people's cell phones away from them at, our, at, our, at a men's basketball game this past year or uh, my first promotion here that kind of gained a lot of attention was we gave away kale at a women's basketball game. And, um, you know, people either love kale or hate kale, but it, you know, the way it, it kind of, it grew was just because people had such a, uh, they, they were so, so one-sided on it, you know, well, whether they either loved it or hated it. So it really, you know, spurred that conversation. 
<laughs> That's all. I mean, these are great, which would bring me yeah. to the second part about these things, right? Which is like you said yeah. lucky, but I would say that, and this is something I can relate from my own career is that you sort of like, you can think it's luck one or two or three times, but the thing is, is like yeah. if you're consistently showing up with the, in these places where these results happen, maybe it is you're on to something. And, and you know, obviously I think you're on to something because you do something that doesn't happen all the time. It's like, you're just, yeah. you're creative, right? Which is, yeah. I think something that's like desperately needed in more sports marketing because it becomes very mm -hmm. easy. And I really just marketing in general at this point, right? Yeah. Um, it, because it yeah. becomes very easy to do what everybody else is doing. Everybody else is, you know, offering a discount. You might as well offer a discount. Yeah. Everybody else is doing, yeah. uh, you know, everybody else is on every social media platform and using it just to like spew out press releases and game scores. Oh, that's what everybody should mm -hmm. be doing, right? And you guys yeah. seem to consciously over and over and over again uh, take the point of view that uh, it's okay to be creative and it's okay to have a yeah. little fun and it's okay to maybe even poke fun at yourself, right? Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, and that's very refreshing. And I, I think that that isn't luck, that's skill. You know, so like, how did you develop this? Because right now you're at Georgetown, right? Which is a, a blue blood yeah. program. And before mm -hmm. that, you were even, you were at Navy, which is even more of a blue blood, yeah. like kind of iconic uh, program. So like, the, yeah. you wouldn't necessarily draw those conclusions too, that you would have been involved in, you know, a culture where creativity would always have been embraced and encouraged. So how did you get there? Sure. Yeah. So I, um, you know, I, I started my first, um, my first, uh, job in college sports was I was an intern at the Naval Academy. And, um, that's kind of when I was just doing marketing there, just trying to get a feel for what, what this, what this industry was about. And, you know, I was working on some small sports over there, but, uh, after that, I did my, my, uh, grad school at Florida State. And, uh, you know, I was working with really good programs, some of the smaller programs at Florida State, but, but, but really good nationally ranked programs. And so I think that's kind of when I first started to do some creative stuff. Um, we, uh, I was in charge of tennis there. And so, um, uh, one of the things that the first kind of really creative thing that I did was we, we did something called the celebrity tennis match. So it was a, a um a tennis match during uh, uh excuse me a Florida State versus Florida um tennis competition um during the doubles and the singles matches there's like a 30 minute break and we had some students come out and, and play a game of doubles but the thing was I found students that had the same names of famous people um so and 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 so we advertised them as you know Jeff Gordon Mark McGuire um, um, David Robinson, Brittany Murphy are all coming to play, uh, a tennis match here. And so, uh, you know, I, I went on the student, uh, the student directory and found some fun names and, uh, you know, they came out and did it and we got some, some headlines. So that was the first time I kind of realized like, Hey, there's something here when, when you kind of do this extra effort and, 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 uh, and try to be creative, you know, you could, you know, get, get more eyes on your product. And so, it kind of grew there. I, I did a year at New Mexico State University um, out in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and um, I was able to be more creative there uh, as well. And you know, when it, when uh, you know I, I landed at Navy, uh, you're right. It, it, it's a very traditional program, and and it took a little bit of time before I started doing some some kind of fun things. Um, but I think uh, you know towards the the end of my time there, I was there for five years. Uh, towards the end of my time there, we were we were starting to do some some stuff. And, uh, my, my first kind of viral promotion I ever had was 
something very simple and very easy. We had our uh, mascot play rock, paper, scissors um, at a basketball game. Anyone that came to the basketball game played our mascot rock, paper, scissors. If they beat the mascot, they got a free ticket. Something that was just the easiest thing to do. Um, you know, but it, it was the first thing that we did that, that gained national headlines and just, just because it was a unique idea and something creative, um, you know, and, and, uh, it's, it's kind of grown from there. And, and at Georgetown, when I got here, I, I, I took some time to, to understand the culture, to understand the fan base, to understand the student body. Uh, we just didn't come in and start throwing stuff against the wall and, and hoping it would work. We were strategic about it. And so the first time we, we did some creative stuff was with our women's basketball team because we had a coach that, that was okay with that and supportive of that and an administration that, that saw the value in trying to do um, some different things. And, and that's when we gave away kale in my first year here. So we um, just put together a kale giveaway and it, it blew up. I mean, it was everywhere. Even Michelle Obama talked about it in a speech a couple of weeks after it happened. So it was kind of surreal, but it, it's just kind of grown from there. Um, you know, and, and so now we, we have this kind of reputation. So I think that gives us a little bit of cachet when, when, when we come to people with these ideas, um, you know, we, we have a, a, a good rapport with a lot of these national writers who are picking up our stories. And so I think we're strategic about it. Um, but we also just don't do things to do things here. We, we really build out an idea, you know, so it's not just like any team doing a star Wars night, right. It's, we, we really dig into the experience and make it kind of an all encompassing, um, event for, for our fan base. And it's interesting. You said like, Oh, don't you build out the idea and you don't just like, hey, yeah. Oh, we're going to have a star Wars night. Right. Which I'm yeah. almost certain that those star Wars nights and some of these things, they work once. Right. But yeah, they yeah. don't work really. You know, they, they're, they're sort of like, um, if you do kind of email marketing and you have a cadence and it's sort of like the first round of emails, you might get 20% and then you might add like three or 4%, but you see a significant yeah. drop off each time it's done. It's the same thing. I think with these yeah. like star Wars promotions or like some of these other ones that are, you know, come along at yeah. the time. But when you build out the idea in the manner that you're doing, it seems to be that the most important thing that you've done as an, you know, as an organization is that you've built the, un, the process to create and yeah. control whatever it is you want to do. So even if you did a star Wars night or something similar, you would still have mm-hmm. greater control and more likelihood of success because you understand the process involved in creating that success. Or maybe I'm misreading yeah. this. Yeah. No, I, I, I think, I think you have a great point there. And I think that we've um, because of the stuff that we've done and the, and the reputation that we have in doing this stuff that, that people give us a harder look at things um, and, and might be more open to sharing something that we do. Uh, now, now you got to make sure it's a good idea uh, and you got to make sure that, that, that you're not just doing something to do it um, and that it's built up the right way. And, and that you, uh, you know, you look at it from a whole bunch of different angles. Um, you know, like you said, we have a whole process for developing these things. It's not just something that comes together and, in, in a day, it's it's um, a lot of a lot of back end work goes into it, and and a lot of conversations happen with um, you know folks in our uh, external relations team, like our ticket office and our sponsorship folks, and and, and even even my uh, supervisor who reports directly to our athletic director. Um, there's a lot of conversations that go on to make sure that that we're doing things the right way, um, and we're we're still sticking to. Um, being creative and, and, and having fun with stuff, but we're not crossing a line. Um, 
And so, yes, there is a process. And yes, as we, as we do more and more, um, we gain a good reputation with, with these national writers and, and these, these, um, you know, bloggers and, uh, the, the influencers on, on social media. And, and when they see our stuff, they, they look at it. It's just not part of the clutter that they see every day. They, um, they, they really dive into it. And, and if, if they think it's worthy enough, they'll share it. Yeah. And that's, a, I mean, that's a good thing. I mean, cause I mean, if I'm being honest, I'm a fairly tough critic on a lot of this stuff because a lot of it's, you know, when you see it, it is, it is like everybody jumping on the same, you know, pattern or the same idea, good or bad. And so when you talk about uh-huh. the idea of, is it a good idea? Um, you know, I'm kind of, uh, I'm curious about this because so often I think there is a fear of making a mistake that happens in a lot of places. And, you know, I try to tell people all the time, you know, what's the worst that happens if you make a mistake is like, you made a mistake, but you learn what doesn't work, you know? So how, how do you guys vet the ideas and how do you make sure that people are always kind of, um, searching and not afraid to fail. Like if an idea isn't good, you know, how do you keep people, you know, kind of protect their uh, ego? Because I think ego makes people not want to make a bad decision, but there's really not a bad decision. It's just something that didn't work. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that because I just got back from our um, conference, our annual conference of sports marketing professionals. And, um, and something I heard in that conference really struck a chord with me was that uh, there was, um, uh, one of my colleagues that has a, a wall of failure, you know, and so then w- w- when they have an idea that doesn't work the way they wanted it to, or just kind of blows up the wrong way, they put it up on the wall of failure. And it's kind of like a, a little bit of a sense of pride because it, it, it keeps you, um, yeah, it, it helps you realize that, okay, you're not going to hit on everything and they, and, and you're not going to, hit on a lot of stuff if you're not taking chances and, and, and pushing the envelope a little bit and trying new things. And so, you know, I have up on my whiteboard here a wall of failure of, of several ideas that I've had that, that you probably didn't hear about because they, they weren't the best ideas. But um, I think once you stop, and, and especially in this industry and in, in college athletics marketing, I mean, once you stop trying to be creative, uh, be innovative, um, changing things up, creating new experiences. Once you stop that and you get, you get put in a rut, I, I, I don't know how you um, recover from that. And I don't know how you operate in, in this industry because the way the industry works is that we're, we're trying to get people's attention in an ever changing world. And so you have to change, you have to be innovative, you have to adjust as people's wants and desires um, adjust. So uh, you know, we've been, uh, you know, we're okay with failing, um, you know, and, and sometimes failures are on a large scale and sometimes they're on a small scale. You know, for example, we did a, uh, last year at lacrosse, we did a parents appreciation day. It was the senior day and we wanted to tell parents that we appreciated them. And so, uh, I worked with our equipment staff and we were going to do fans laundry because we have all these huge washer dryers. Um, you know, for, for our student athletes uh, in the equipment room. And I made a deal that the first five families that come with their laundry, we'll do it for you. We'll fold it for you. We'll dry it for you. We'll, we'll bring it out, um, you know, as you're enjoying the game. Um, you know, I thought it was a great idea. I got a little bit of play on social media. Nobody brought any clothes. I mean, it was a complete flop. Um, I also bought a bunch of um, face, uh, like facial masks to give out to different moms and and daughters that came to the game and like, I still have them in my office because nobody took them. So, 
you know, that there's, uh, but that's okay because, um, you know, we need to, we need to take chances and, and, uh, in the grand scheme of things, yeah, it didn't work, but, um, but it still got a little bit of attention on social media. It still got a little, uh, group of people kind of talking about our events and, and we move on to the next thing, you know, and, and it helps you kind of grow and, um, you know, get an idea for, you know, what you think will hit and what you think won't. Yeah. And it, it, and as I'm talking to you, I'm reminded of a conversation that I had a few podcasts ago with a guy called Dan Moore, who's at the Diablo mm-hmm. Ballet in San Francisco. And mm-hmm. what I, what it seems like here, there's a theme between you, what you're saying and what he's saying too, is like, you know, the cost of failure with like some of these tools that we have access to now is really small, right? But the uh-huh. cost of failure, if you're not trying things is very large because, yeah. you know, you, yeah. you, you, social media, like and, the, and these things that people's attention moves so fast that if you like have laundry day and it doesn't work, people forget about it pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I still think it's fun. I feel, still think it's great. I wish I'd brought my laundry. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that would have been an awesome break for me. Um, yeah. You know, it, but leads to the, the, but I think this thing is um, that you're talking about is really important for people to realize. It's like you know, with so you know, with face, you know, they at the ballet they use a lot of Facebook Live, right? Or and you use Twitter very effectively, and like all these tools, mm-hmm. it's like you have the ability to be fairly cre- you know, really creative very quickly, mm-hmm. very cost effectively. Mm-hmm. You can test an idea right very easily on social media because you're great about this, right? Like posting up uh-huh. asking people for ideas and feedback on an idea which is awesome uh-huh. right like direct engagement with your audience um and uh-huh. and if the, something doesn't work you can just move on and nobody's lost anything i mean like even even yeah. the, the ideas you just talked about what are you out a hundred bucks maybe i mean yeah yeah you probably waste that, that much yeah. on like on on stuff that's like you know supposed to be proven all the time you know so uh-huh. to me it, it, it seems like a, the return on investment on that idea, even though it monetarily wasn't very good, it seems to be great because it, you know it, it is that process of creating an mm-hmm. idea and you know failing and realizing, like, eh, whatever, it, it, it wasn't that big a deal, you know. So, yeah. I mean, so I mean, yeah. to me, I, I, you know, for my audience who you know kind of touch sports and theater and live entertainment, it's that creativity uh-huh. what is like what's really interesting to me and the way that you handle it. Um, yeah. And one more thing I want to ask you about before we go, because I think it's also awesome, is the way that you deal with the fans who ask for a fan packs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. your questionnaire. The questionnaire. I, I, yeah. I don't know why I find it so funny, but I guess it's like it's yeah. the combination of, of the the questionnaire that you send out and then like the responses yeah. and, that you get from people. <laughs> where did they, like, how, did, yeah. how does this happen? Like, where did this come from? Yeah, so... So for, for people that don't know, I mean, in, in college athletics and in, in professional sports, I imagine we get at least 10 or so, I mean, at, at least at Georgetown, we get 10 or so fan pack requests a, uh, a week. And so what these are are just random people emailing a huge database of marketing professionals at, at teams, asking them to send them free stuff. So uh, a lot of times it's very easy to pick out like who is actually a fan. Um, and like, if it's a, you know, a dad emailing for a small child and he sends a picture of himself wearing a Georgetown shirt and like, it'd be great if you could send my son a pennant or something, you know, we, or, or, uh, we get a lot of requests from classrooms who, you know, or a classroom in California. We pick Georgetown as a school for, um, college day. Do you guys have anything you can share with us? And, and we, and we go, go out of our way to send them stuff and, and, you know, help 
you know, help with that. But it's these other people that are, uh, that, that are very obviously not fans that are just sending a generic email out to everybody, um, asking us to just send them stuff. So that not only asking us to send them things, but they're asking us to pay for the shipping and, and the products and everything. And so, um, we get a whole number of these requests and a lot of times someone will say, I'm a big fan of the Bulldogs. And, uh, you know, I loved, uh, you know, I love watching you guys play, uh, or we know that they, they're, they're just sending that to every school that has a Bulldog mascot or, uh, you know, sometimes we even get, they haven't changed the template and it's, it's emailing me at Georgetown asking for, I don't know, Yukon gear or something. Uh, so we came up with a way to kind of vet, these folks and to make sure that they were really uh, Georgetown fans. Uh, and so we came up with a, a policy where when they, when I receive that email, I respond back to them with this graphic that, that lays out our policy and it is three or four steps. I can't remember all of them, but it's, you know, send a video of yourself singing our fight song. Um, when did you become a Georgetown fan? Show that you're following us on social media. Uh, you know, it, it's giving them past and it's, and it's respond back in an hour with this information. And if, if it, if it checks out, if you do this, we'll send you some stuff, you know, by, by all means, if you put in that effort, we'll send you some stuff. But, um, so I, I know a lot of other schools have adopted the same thing now. And, uh, you know, we're able to kind of keep the, the fake fans away, but still reward our, our true fans. And, and I, I think I've probably sent that policy to about a hundred people now. And I think six maybe have, responded with it completed uh and so that just kind of goes to show you the the actual ratio of of real georgetown fans who are requesting us to send them free stuff so i think you could also make the um make it a social media contest to have people post them singing the fight song on their social media exactly (laughs) i don't know if i want to see it Yeah, some of them, some of them are interesting, but no, that that's what happens if, if if someone does that, and I say, hey, do you mind if we share this on social media? Usually they say sure, so we'll we'll you know post that um, uh, as well. Then singing the fight song, so uh, yeah, it's it, it's been uh, it's it's been it's been fun to to kind of do that and to kind of um, you know weed out the the non fans uh, from that process that kind of bogs down a lot of a lot of teams. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time to talk to me and my audience today. Um, how can people find out more about what you're up to and how can they connect with you? Sure. So uh, you can follow me, uh, follow the Hoyas on social media, uh, George, at Georgetown Hoyas on Twitter, uh, Georgetown Athletics on Facebook and Instagram. So you'll see a lot of our, you know, finalized promotions on there. Um, you know, I, I, like you said before, I'm very active on Twitter. I love Twitter and, and I, I outsource a lot of, uh, ideas and, and look for a lot of feedback from our fan base and from, you know, other people in the sports biz, uh, through my Twitter account. So that's, uh, Chris underscore Rossi. Um, and, uh, I love interacting and, and, and I tell a lot of people in this industry, you know, if you ever have ideas that you want to run by me, I'm happy to provide a, uh, an outlet for for that and, and someone to listen and, and to provide some feedback so i'm uh, uh really active and enjoy um you know interacting with with uh, my colleagues and, and other people in the uh in the industry of fun as you as you call it so. <laughs> well you know that came from the idea that like you know you or me a lot of us when we're, we're doing these jobs we don't have a weekend or a holiday like everybody else is because we're you know, yeah we're there in, uh, making sure other, other people have fun so somebody said that to me yeah 
God, 20 years ago. And I just sort of was yeah. like, while I was thinking for outsourcing, shopping for a name, I was like, well, that's the name. So that's great. Yeah. But, but awesome. yeah. So um, thank you again for being here. Um, I, I think people are going to really enjoy this conversation because uh, again, if you're looking for like some great marketing ideas, you should check out what Chris is doing at Georgetown. So thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So that was my conversation with Chris Grasse from the Georgetown University here in Washington, D.C. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did having it. As always, you can find out what I'm up to by visiting my website. That's www.davewakeman.com, where you can find my daily blog. You can find out the clients I've worked with, the stuff I'm doing, all kinds of crazy stuff. If you have any ideas, questions, concerns, guests you'd like to see, uh, anything that you want to bring my attention to, you can always email me. That is my name. It's Dave at DaveWakeman.com. Also, while you're emailing me, if you'd like to get my weekly newsletter delivered to your inbox on Sundays where I talk about value, marketing, uh, developing customers, um, motivation, all kinds of crazy stuff, put in the news the, the tagline or the headline newsletter, and I'm happy to sign you up. Finally, if you like what I'm doing on the podcast, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. And if you're so inclined, leave a review. It means a lot to me, and it helps me continue to deliver great conversations and great content to you. So until next time, thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you again soon.